I'm Stephen Falla, and you're listening to Pipe and Drape, the only podcast that spotlights the creative minds behind the theater for young audiences industry. Every two weeks, I sit down with a children's theater professional to hear their stories about the audition, rehearsal, and development process of theater for young audiences. Each of them have bridged the path from youth to adulthood while living in worlds created for children. My guests have mounted shows small enough to fit in a minivan to productions so big they travel by caravan. You can join the conversation by emailing pipeanddrapestories at gmail.com or messaging pipeanddrapestories on Instagram. This is episode 9 of Pipe and Drape. The following story is about the hidden magic makers behind theater for young audiences, stage managers. The difficulty of stage management duties is magnified in the fast-paced world of children's theater, and you're about to get the details. Thank you for listening with me today. Today's guest is stage manager Anna Jacobs. Anna recently received her bachelor's degree from the Unitech School of Creative Industries and quickly dove into the world of touring children's theater. She and I connected through Instagram and are meeting for the first time on International Stage Management Day by bridging the 9,000-mile gap between our homes through a video call. Anna, welcome and happy Stage Management Day. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. When you were a kid, what kinds of things did you do to keep yourself entertained? Like, what kind of games did you play? I grew up on a farm. I was very much um, up the mountains, hanging out with the sheep, the calves, uh, down at the creek with my best friends. That was very much my childhood. And then when I moved into the city, it was sort of just continuing on playing outside. You don't sit inside and watch TV. You get outside, your parents throw you outside and, and leave you to make make things up, play with your friends. And yeah, it was definitely not theater focused growing up. What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be um, a fashion designer or an actor. I think it was creativity that I really, really liked. And then when I was about 14, I realized it was the management of this creative thing. I wanted to be a merchandiser or have my own fashion house. I didn't know that stage managers were a thing. So I think I just wanted to be a director because I thought you're either an actor or a director. Did you stage manage or work on any shows when you were in grade school? Is that like age five to... Oh, yeah, like age. Like... <laughs> um, so like uh, ages six to 17, um, okay. Did you do shows when you're in school or theater in the community? Not really. I didn't get into theater until high school and I didn't do any theater at school. I just did it um, at community theater when I was doing acting classes. It was very much an escape for me. So I did not want to be doing it at high school. I hated high school. So I would, I would get on the bus in the middle of the day and I would go out to the theater and spend my time there. Um, so yeah, when I was a teenager, absolutely, but no, not as a not as a kid. Did you find yourself going to theater a lot as a kid? No, not not really. Um, my theater when I was very young, maybe six or seven, I was sent from my grandmother a, a VHS tape um, of the nineteen ninety nine version of Annie, and that was that was my theater. I think I watched that three or four times a week. For years, I was obsessed with it. Audrey McDonald, that's where my love for her started. So 
that we didn't I didn't go to the theater much because it cost money and we didn't have have money for that and it didn't I don't think there was a lot of touring theater really I think because we're such a small country and you know at the bottom of the world only these very big productions with a lot of money are going to travel to our country in the big theaters and so those ticket prices are going to be very expensive so I think I saw my first professional production when I was maybe 13 or so and it was Jersey Boys and it was just magic um but yeah that was probably the only thing I saw when I was yeah younger you go from doing theater outside of school as a way to uh, to escape high school and then you did escape you you went to university to study stage management what was your university program like very practical, very, very practical basis. So it's a, you know, a tech. So it was a three-year degree. First year was very much lighting and sound. You learn about rigging and, and safety and all of that. Second year, you sort of specialize a little more and you do a lot of your stage management papers, if that's what you're doing. I was actually only one of two people doing it. So it was, yeah, it was just us kind of figuring out what to do. Um, and then you have a lot of papers of on, which I, th- I thought was very beneficial on being a um, sole trader and how to be a freelance stage manager. So accounting classes and that, that sort of stuff. So we had like one, I think we had one class on tour management. And I think I was probably just like, okay, doing tour management, not thinking that I would ever actually go on tours. So I remember years later being like, oh, what did I learn in that class? Like trying to search all of the, the information all the slides but yeah um and then third year was a lot more intern based so you spent a lot of time away from the university and in theaters working with with people shadowing and so that was kind of the the trajectory of that of that course a lot of my peers talk about their college experience and they mention how they they weren't taught how to balance their finances or navigate the freelance economy as an arts worker and so I think that's a really cool thing that your school had and then giving the opportunity to do an internship where you're putting these things into practice while still studying. That was really beneficial there are definitely downsides I wish that the uni had put more thought into perhaps mental health in the arts and because there were times we would show up to uni at 6.30 in the morning and, and we would leave at 11 at night because we were still learning how to do stuff. So it took us longer to get a show up because this is what we were training to do. But we were given just the normal amount of time to do it. So we spent a lot of time there and it was we really experienced a lot of burnout at uni, I think. So there are definitely pros and cons, but yeah, great learning experience. You came out super well-rounded and ready to get into the field, and you did. How did you find yourself working with Showcase Entertainment? It's interesting that you say, like, you come out of this and you're, like, ready to jump into it. I feel like I came out of it terrified. Like, I felt like a bit of a fraud. You know, you have this degree and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. But I was really lucky the director was a friend of mine, and he had always sort of said, like, he, he played the cat in Cat and Hat and he directed it. He always said, like, love to get you involved at some point. And so this opportunity sort of just came up where there was a position. It was actually to tour manage Cat in the Hat in Australia. And so 
he set up an interview with the producer and I went around there and we had a chat and it was nice it was informal it was more about like seeing the vibe making sure we're on the same page and yeah it was it was good it was easy and informal and um then the show was cancelled so I'm assuming due to COVID-19 yeah were you asked to be a part of the company that would tour New Zealand yeah yeah so because the ASM that was meant to be doing the original tour was based in Australia she wasn't able to get to New Zealand to then do the New Zealand tour so it sort of worked they were like would you mind shifting into that role instead and I was like I feel more comfortable in that role as an ASM than a tour manager so definitely. So what was the rehearsal process like for Cat in the Hat from your perspective as an assistant stage manager? For this one I came in quite late in the process because for this show it had already they'd already done multiple tours of this one so I was sort of just slotting in in the week before production week and then going from there. But for this one, it was a stage manager in ASM side of stage. And it's just pretty much like the show is chaos. It is 50 minutes of just like throwing props on, catching stuff, running around, throwing this. It was just fantastic. So it was just learning, learning tracks and then writing and then trying it and getting the timing. So Rehearsal process was, was a lot different than what I think a normal sort of music theatre show would be because this was much more practical and hands-on. It wasn't a called show, so we were on headsets, but more just like wasn't really like to cue each other. We, we sort of cued our, our own stuff and then our lighting off actually wasn't even on comms, so he just did his own cueing. So it was definitely a little, a little different. We communicated that way. It's you, the assistant stage manager, your stage manager, your uh, light operator, and then how many other people were with you on the road? So for that one, our production manager was our light ops as well. And then we had our sound guy um, at the back and he was just by himself because our light ops was actually side of stage. And then we had one of our stage hands, which was also our truck driver, which was difficult to manage his, his uh, time and make sure he wasn't going over his allotted work time. Um, and then a couple of stagehands and then our, our actors. So it was a smaller team than my last tour, but much more manageable, I guess, on the road. And did you tour with multiple big white vans? Did you have a van and a larger truck that you drove around? We had our cast van and then a crew van. And then for Cat in the Hat, I think we had a production truck. For Madagascar, we had production truck and two containers that would travel ahead of us. So we would pack them out and then they would go. And then when we showed up at the next venue, containers were magically there. But Cat in the Hat was a lot smaller. Um, so it would fit into, I think, I think it perhaps it was one container maybe. So it was an adjustable set. So we would go in to our venue and gauge whether we needed like set one, two or three. And we would we would have these panels that we could take out and um, change the size of it. So we packed the biggest set into this truck, but just took what we need for each venue. How many venues did you have to go to each week? Oh man, for Cat in the Hat, it was 14 cities in 14 days. I'm stressed. <laughs> I'm, I'm stressed talking about it, man. That was, we will never do that again. Madagascar, we recognized it wasn't sustainable. And so we did. I want to say we went to a new venue maybe every two or three days. 
um, which was really nice because it was like it was still quick and fast but you got to see so many places um yeah that was a, a, a better model I think what time would you have to get up in the morning to go and either travel to a different uh, town or get to the theater and get everything together firstly I just say don't condone the schedule so take it with a grain of salt um but we'd get up at kind of maybe 5.40, 5.45, and then we would have breakfast together. This is the crew. The cast would come in a little bit later. Um, then we would travel to the venue, which we would already be. We, we would travel to the next city at night. So we'd already be where we needed to be in the morning. Get to the venue for quarter to seven, seven. Have our briefing with our, um, our venue techs there. And then we would pack in, do a show, reset, do a show, reset do a show, pack out, and then we would travel to the next place. Sometimes that was a four, five, six hour drive, um, get to our our place. Not always. Sometimes we would get to the next place for, for dinner, but there were times when it was, you know, getting there 11, 11.30 at night and then up the next day, 5.40. So that one was quite, quite intense, but um, still a blast. Were you and your cast responsible for loading in the set and loading out the set? Cast is, was never responsible for anything that wasn't just their role. We didn't have any local crew for Cat in the Hat, which was a mistake in hindsight. It was too much for us to take on. But for Madagascar, we got local crew in as well to help us with our pack-in and pack-out. What were your responsibilities during the load-in between getting things out of the truck and then spiking the stage? It was getting everything out, doing a lot of like the, the flying rigging as well, making sure that our, our legs are in at the right place, making sure that the measurements of the space was accurate so that anyone else can come in and build anything if they need to. Um, yeah, getting the props where they needed to be, setting up my station, checking in with everyone, just sort of being that person supporting each department. What was your pre-show like? First thing would be setting everything up for the actors coming in, making sure the dressing rooms are all happy, all, all clean, the green room is stocked, and then that the sound and lighting um, are all happy doing whatever they need to do. And then I'd do a safety walk, so I'll walk through the theatre and I'll look at all the tape, make sure it's all down, make sure there's no screws on the floor or anything like that. I walk through the auditorium, make sure there's nothing on the seats and just do an overview of the space. And then I'll check in with everyone individually, um, make sure there's no issues with their department. Um, and then usually about that time, the actors will arrive. Um, and then I'll go in and check, check in with them and let them know what like where we're at for their um, mic checks, their EQ, and then um, if there's a if we do a fight call for that show, um, let them know what time we're going to be doing that. Usually it's the same time every day, but some things change. Um, and then yeah, when they're already, we have a bit of a moment together. Where we have a chat about anything, um, wish each other luck, and then we. Uh, I, I actually call from. In the house, I don't call from side to stage with these shows. So usually I'll head out to the house and I'll just, when, when it opens, and I'll just sit um, while the audience starts coming because that just, that's just the best moment ever. So I'll just sit and, and listen to them all being excited 
and that that's a big bit of my my pre-show that's really cool that you get to be among the audience and hear the people that you're about to serve it's the best part for me like if if it's a two o'clock show and it's like 157 and it's you know there's a thousand people there and kids are just like bubbling away and you can just hear it and you're looking around and they're so excited it's just the best it's the best moment and they have no idea that you're running the show. I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> Although it's funny, like um, a lot of the parents when they're leaving stop by the booth and they're like, fantastic show. It was just amazing. And like, they really thank the lighting and the sound and the stage manager. It's, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> Once the show is finished, your shows are done for the day. Do you give notes to your actors and your crew immediately after the show or do you wait? I love this question. It's so such a stage manager question. After the show, the actors will, if there's a meet and greet, they'll do a meet and greet, but they'll usually just go and start taking off their makeup and everything. And the crew all meet on the stage. Um, I write my notes, you know, throughout the show when something happens. I don't think we've ever had a show where nothing has happened. So I write everything as I'm calling and then we come to the stage and we all have a bit of a corridor and we have a chat, a talk and I go through my notes and people give their notes and I write everything down and then I will send out a, a show report afterwards of, of everything, um, how it's been actioned, who's actioning it and then I'll check in with the, with the cast as well and I'll usually have a bit in the show report for cast because we'll have a Facebook group and I'll just put the report on there everyone can read it so there'll be you know anything in there for the cast if it's applicable what is the craziest technical difficulty that you have encountered while touring with theater for young audiences we've had like your classic the soundboard just decides it's not having not having it and goes to sleep so we had um one of our one of our numbers in madagascar just acapella which was horrendous um and then we had one one moment where our one of our lead actors enters it's like this, it's his big entrance um and he enters crouched on this box that's maybe like 1.3 I don't know what that is in feet 1.3 meters high he's like crouched on it and it, it comes in really fast and it's um the start of his song and he goes to stand up and he falls straight off it he just tumbled right back and we were just like oh my god is he concussed is he what's what's happening and so I have people in my ears like freaking out and he just like jumps back up it's funny because one of the lines that he sings is about like how graceful he is and um yeah that was that was a lot because a lot of a lot of incident reports but we haven't we have touch wood we haven't had anything really really bad happen just small things that are like you just kind of want to sink into the ground while it's happening. So as a stage manager, what is the process of filing an incident report? There are so many variables based on the company that you're working with, the stage manager that you are, and the venue that you're in. So for me, I'm, I'm very big on, on my paperwork. Um, so if there's an incident, even a near miss, anything, I'll file a report, even if no one else wants it. Even if the venue doesn't want it or the company doesn't want it, I have a report there. But um, some venues are very much like, if anything happens, you send us the report as well. We want a, a document, a copy of it. 
for me, I have a template for every show, reproduction that I'm doing. And then if anything happens, because I have my laptop with me when I'm touring, if anything happens, I fill that report out and then I send it to um, our producer and to the person that it's involved with, the cast member, whatever, and then the venue tech for that venue as well. And what is the purpose of an incident report? So if anything happens later on, like if six months down the track, an actor is like, oh, you know, my back is, is in so much pain because of that time when this happened, and then they need to access ACC or anything, there's a, there's a document there that says this happened and it was dealt with in this way. And um, this is the first aid that we gave and this is who saw it. This is what happened. It's just a, it's a record in case anything comes from it. Yeah, liability as well. So the venue needs to know what's happening. You know, if, if anything goes wrong and then this crops up in a few months time, they can go, yep, we knew about it and we know that it was taken care of. People don't realize that stage managers are also in charge of the well-being of the actors and the company. You mentioned that you were always looking out for the mental health of your crew. And I think that's something that is very important. And it's it not talked about a lot in, I think, any industry. What are some of the things that you did to make sure that everyone was feeling like they can keep going each day? It's, I think doing a lot of the pre-production work and looking at the schedule and moments that you can take a break and having those that already planned so you know is really important. And then when we're in the actual process is just constantly checking in on people and making sure that from day one, you're building a trust with, with your team so that they know if they're feeling tired, that they don't have to hide it and they can come to me and they can say, look, um, I'm struggling, struggling a little bit. What, is there anything that we can do? And absolutely there is. There are other scenes we can work. We can do something else while you take a break, you know? It's, I just think it's so important that people can talk to their stage manager. Um, and also the director is very focused when he's casting. He's not just casting based on what their people's talent. He is looking at, how much they care about other people, how much they're looking at supporting others, because that is so important to us. It's 50% of our casting is how much, like, what do you like with other people and, and do you care? Because we are absolutely a family when we're on tour. So just looking out for each other, um, always checking in and, you know, nothing, nothing comes above people's health, mental health, physical health. So as, as long as people know that, then they can feel comfortable and safe coming, coming to us and, we can put on a better show. What are your responsibilities during the loadout of the show? So for Madagascar, we had our production manager was very much in charge of the loadout um, alongside me. So that was great. He took care of a lot of the technical stuff. And for me, it was props and, and set, breaking it all down and, and getting it kind of sorted. And also just making sure that the venue is back to normal, making sure everyone's happy, just kind of being a part of the crew, loading everything out, really. What kind of hotels were you staying in? Um, I was listening to your your post where we asked that same question to someone and <laughs> their response made me laugh. And they were like, well, motels, actually, not hotels. Um, yeah, yeah, motels. Really different, varied places. Um, just kind of general motels, I guess. 
Did you have to share rooms or did you get your own room when you were touring? Yeah, we share rooms. We have usually have a bit of a roster where it's like you'll share a room for one night, share a room for the next night, and then you might get your own room on the third or fourth night and just sort of cycles through so everyone gets a bit of a break. Did you have a certain routine when you would get to your next hotel? Usually we would put our stuff in the room, have a shower, and then go out for a drink. That was our routine. Um, Especially on Madagascar, we had a lot more time. We'd always have our evenings free, which was really nice. So we spent a lot of time as a company together. We would all go out for dinner, all explore the city. And it was really important for us to not hold ourselves up in our room, I think. So yeah, go out, find a new restaurant. That was our routine. What were some of the most unusual things that you encountered on the road during your tour? I think for me, it was probably just the fact that I've, I've never seen my country at all. Like I've never traveled through it. Um, so the whole thing was incredibly new to me. It was such privilege to be able to travel the country for work. Everywhere I went, I was absolutely fascinated because I'd never been there before. And going into going down to the South Island, which is, you know, when you see pictures of New Zealand and it's this beautiful green landscape, that's, that's the South Island. So it was so magic to be able to go there and, and sort of see New Zealand a little bit like a tourist. How has your work in Children's Theatre propelled you forward as a young adult? Children's Theatre is so important to me. When I wanted to be a stage manager, I had no interest in children's theatre specifically. I accidentally walked into the wrong seminar at a conference that was on uh, children's theatre, and I thought it was stage management. And so that's where that started. But it was, it's just so important to me. I think coming from a really low socioeconomic family and not having, not having that growing up, it's, it's so important to me to be able to create access to the arts and to create shows that kids can come to and they can see theatre. And so going forward, my goal would be to create professional theatre that is more accessible. I mean, the reality of it is, is that you do have to charge money to make these shows viable. And I'm, I'm interested in exploring how to do the same quality, but make it more accessible to families who can't pay that much money. It can be such an escape for some people. And even if it's just an escape for like one person, it makes the entire thing worth it. Anna, thank you for speaking with me today. How can our listeners find more of your work or see what you're up to in New Zealand? My Instagram would probably be the best, best place. It's aj.backstage. Be sure to check out photos from Anna's touring adventures in New Zealand on Instagram. You can join the conversation about theater for young audiences and find more pipe and drape content, including photos, quotes, and TYA news on Instagram at Pipe and Drape Stories. And please be sure to rate and review Pipe and Drape wherever you listen to podcasts. Each star given or review submitted helps future listeners find the show. Be sure to tune in every other Tuesday to hear theater for young audiences creatives share their pipe and drape stories. Pipe and Drape is created and hosted by Stephen Falla and distributed by Anchor. Artwork for Pipe and Drape was created by Stephen Gordon and music was composed by Stephen Falla. Thank you for listening with me today.